trying something different today with running into the fog. Um, actually, a number of different things are different uh, today. Um, number one, my brother and I are on location here in um, downtown Minneapolis at the Hyatt Regency. And it's the first time we've ever been uh, technically, uh, I guess, we're, Eric, we're maybe 20 yards away from one another. Hey, over there. Um, and uh, we are technically out of pre-recorded podcasts also. That's the second thing that's different. Um, we had a great conversation uh, that was actually recorded back in, in December with Dr. Tom Tao, who's a longtime uh, educator and expert analyst in the Intel game. And uh, I think we're going to reference that uh, probably in different, different ways today, um, because I do have a, a need for speed, uh, as I think most CI uh, analysts, if they're doing it right, uh, might be able to uh, at least comprehend. Um, the, so we're doing a live stream format with running into the fog now, and this is going to go up tempo in a significant way. We're going to weekly. It's going to be high energy. At least that's our hope. And for all of you uh, joining in today, you're in for a real treat to hear from our really dear friend, Wendy Smart. Wendy, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah. So technically, this is episode 33. Uh, for those of you new to running into the fog, my brother and I watched this when we were running through our own fog. Um, a little over a year ago, we were not uh, communicating quite like we once did before the pandemic, and we launched this podcast, and that's been the greatest blessing, at least for me, and I think probably you, you two, Eric, uh, to, to do together. Um, you know, Wendy and the Joe Bros got to know each other back in 2012, somewhere in that ballpark, and... Uh, you know, just your friendship, your mentorship, Wendy, has meant the world to me, and I know it to Eric also, and you probably see it the same way. Absolutely, yeah, I, I you know, you, right before we started this, it was like, wow, it's been 10 years, and, um, you know, Derek, you reached out to me, and I was like, wow, really, you want to connect with me, and, and I mean, that's kind of been how my whole career has gone, but really appreciate your mentorship every step of the way, um, and, uh, just appreciate you both and Eric, um, appreciate your vision that you've had with the company and, and, uh, and for always bringing me along. So thank you both. Let me ask you, Wendy, um, you know, in this first half hour, we're going to get into your why. Uh, we're going to get into what makes Wendy motivated to go to work every day. And you just had a big change in your life. <laughs> a couple of them, right? Couple. You moved and you, you changed jobs and you gave up an awful lot at this not so not so small global retailer known as Target to go and do your next thing. Yeah. I'd love to have you share with the listeners, you know, what's your why, um, both in why you did that and what, what makes Lindy really tick. And then Eric, I'll let you uh, have first rebuttal once we, once we hear that part of the story. You know, I, it's, I've, I've noticed during my career, I've had moments of where intuition just kind of kicks in and takes over. And it just, you know, it just feels right. And so I have a number of reasons why I did come to Mercyhurst. Um, but, you know, let's go back. Let's go back to, um, you know, right when I was thinking about going to college. It, my sister and I are first college or first generation college grads. And um, I was really into soccer and it was my goal to get a soccer scholarship. And I did. So went down to University of Memphis um, and you know, I, I didn't know what type of questions to ask, like what would be a good major? Um, how often will I be in the classroom? 
who are the other incoming freshmen? Will I actually get to play? And, you know, there was a, it was a time when um, I was just about ready to come out and it was not kosher at the time uh, to be out and uh, heard some, you know, slurs the first day I joined on the team. Uh, so that was sign number one that it wasn't good. Then I wanted to be an English major, couldn't be one because I'd be traveling too much, sign number two. And um, then learned that the goalkeeper was a Swedish national team player. Uh, so I'm not gonna compete with her. So she was gonna, you know, uh, be starter. And then none of all of the other incoming freshmen were from Memphis. So I was a I was a big outsider and feeling like probably the only gay person, um, the only Yankee, uh, never been away from home. Um, I knew within two days that it wasn't right. And I didn't feel like I had failed. I felt like I was given a freedom to do something different. And bless my parents, they drove me down to Memphis, made it home, heard my message on the answering machine, you know, before cell phones and drove right back and picked me up. And uh, I felt free. And so came back and um, because I was on, under NCAA contract, couldn't play D1 through D3. So ended up at Mercier's Northeast. Um, got started the day classes did played on a soccer team there um, and started to go for criminal justice, thinking I'd get into corrections. Um, I like the structure, I like the order um, and like the discipline of it. And then halfway through, I was like, oh, uh, I'm really sensitive and I'll get eaten alive every day. This will not be fun. So I started uh, working um, at the Barber National Institute. It's a group home for mentally disabled adults in Erie, Pennsylvania. And, you know, I saw that, that side of, of the, um, just the warmth and the gift and the family and, you know, people living um, just the best that they can every day. And it was that kind of like human side where I was like, okay, I, I, need, I need something where it's a little bit more in touch with people um, from that aspect. And so, um, but also knew I didn't want to go, you know, work a uh, second shift my whole life. So went back to school. So went to uh, um, class eight to two, work three to 11. Um, so uh, went to school full-time, worked full-time, got my undergrad in English. And, you know, that's where I really started to understand what mentors were and have and continue to have the same mentors from that program um, uh, at Mercyhurst for English that, you know, one professor is just standing in her doorway and she's like, hey, would you ever think about going to grad school? And I hadn't. And that's all it took for me. And so it's, it's one of those moments where it's like, okay, I'm going to carry that with me and I'm going to do the same for other people because that's all it took for me. And I, I had another professor um, that recently uh, passed a couple weeks ago, Heidi Hosey, that introduced me to the intelligence program. And um, she's why I, I entered the program. Um, and so she saw in me my ability for literary analysis. And, um, you know, that's, that's what it was, is I didn't, I didn't know the Intel program existed. <laughs> I went to Mercyhurst for my associates in undergrad, and I didn't know uh, Intel existed. And went to the program, absolutely loved it. Um, one of the best things, one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. And then um, went through the program and uh, ended up at Target, thanks to um, some existing relationships there. Scott Jones um, had a relationship with Target, or excuse, with Target and Mercyhurst, and uh, continues to. And so um, started at Target and 
e-commerce fraud investigations. Uh, switched over uh, once uh, I got to be through some major events at Target. So uh, the cyber breach, one of the first major retail ones. So I was in fraud when that happened. Um, then moved over to help stand up the enterprise risk management function um, after the uh, failed attempt in Canada. And all the while since 2014, so it took me seven years to, to build, but um, got, uh, you know, was trying to build support for enterprise um, competitive intelligence team and, and had, a, had a manager that listened and, you know, stuck with me. So again, another instance of having great mentors throughout the, um, my time at Target. Um, and so, you know, first intuitive moment was in Memphis when I said, now is not the time. Second moment was when I joined strategy and knew that it wasn't just a good time to, to join the, um, to build a strategy program or a competitive Intel program. We had leaders leaving, um, it didn't feel right. And um, Derek reached out, uh, came and joined Aurora, uh, had an amazing time uh, uh, at the company, um, you know, leading the, the First Light team, working closely with Mercyhurst, learning all different sorts of types of intelligence, um, how different industries do intelligence, um, and then uh, came back to Target in 2018 to lead the competitive Intel program. Um, and so, you know, it was those moments of intuition of, of Memphis or the strategy program not working out at Target the first time around, but then seeing when I'm coming back, new leadership, um, new reasons, new drive for why that uh, we need to have a competitive intelligence program in, in the strategy. And that's what I saw with Mercyhurst. We have new leadership. Um, we have new reason for, for why intelligence is evolving and shaping and what it can become. And so after building, you know, um, helping build three different programs at Target, um, I see the opportunity to help build and, and um, transform um, some intelligence programs at Mercyhurst. And it's just one of those intuitive moments where it feels right. Um, I feel supported. I feel like the, the college is, is headed in a great direction and um, made the big move. What a great backgrounder there. And, and Derek's finally letting me get a word in edgewise here. So I just want to take advantage of this opportunity to thank you. First of all, Lindy, Aurora is a different place because of you. And I think uh, the, the vector that you've pushed us on as a company has been a really, really uh, cool one. Um, some of the things that we've done during the pandemic, um, we probably wouldn't have jumped at some of those opportunities if you hadn't put your mark on this company. So uh, thank you. I know my thank brother. You. Other thanks you too. Well, this is really exciting, and you know I'm going to jump in uh, and break our flow for just a second because we have a little bit of an innovation that we're trying out, and my good buddy Walid uh, is in the background there, and he's going to be displaying uh, something called a POAP NFT, and I need to put him into the. I need to spotlight you. Here you go. So we're gonna we're gonna put that up. Actually, you know what? I'm going to remove my own spotlight so that you can see that a little better. I'll leave you guys up there. Well, you know what? I'll go full screen on it. Um, so what this is, Lindy, if you're wondering, this is a QR code that points to um, a system called poap.xyz, and there's 50 of these. Uh, this is a crypto token. It's a non-fungible token. And we're gonna be using these to give access and privileges to people who bear them in their crypto wallet. Now, if you don't have a crypto wallet, don't worry. 
you can reserve it using your email address. And then we'll be having some events coming up in the future to help you kind of walk through how to set that up. Um, there will be a grand total of 50 of these unthinkable tokens, which is what our first half of our show is called, Unthinkable. We sort of uh, think the unthinkable together and kind of get into some material, hopefully that broadens people's horizons. Uh, at the 30 minute mark, we're gonna cut that live social stream uh, to YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook, you guys are going to say bye-bye uh, and you're going to have to register on openrecon.com if you want to join the private unspeakable stream, which is where we can really get into some nitty gritty details. Lindy, if you want to cuss, you're welcome to uh, during that, that second portion. Derek, no cussing for you because you're my baby brother and I got to keep you on the straight and narrow. Um, but please scan this QR code and just do what comes naturally. Go ahead and uh, enter your email address and reserve it. If you do have a crypto wallet, just drop your Ethereum wallet address uh, or your Enos chain. What's it called? I don't remember. Uh, this is all new to me too. And uh, and what's cool about this is we're going to be using these to help allocate resources down the line. And it's, it's really about equity. It's really about people investing together in something. And as you invest together in something, you now have power. You have stake. And that stake is something that I think is gonna be a tremendous innovation in the intelligence world. So we'll put that up again one more time before we're done with this half. And uh, I'm gonna replace the spotlight back here on Lindy. Derek, I'm gonna add you to that. And Lindy, tell me a little bit about what you see Mercyhurst um, doing differently uh, with you kind of leading, and you're leading the Surat Institute, right? Is that, is that the correct sort of definition? And, and what's, gonna, what's gonna change under the SMART regime. Yeah, Brian Fuller, uh, I believe, Derek, you, you've met him. Eric, I don't know if you have. Great guy. Um, really. Um, he's here at Skip with us this week. Great. He's, he's, um, he leads CRAT. So he, he's my counterpart. He leads. Um, so he's done an amazing job with the students, making sure that there's all different sorts of, of internships and um, projects and uh, get the, getting the students involved. So, um, so excited to work with him. And I think the big thing is, you know, I, I assume and have been asked if national security will diminish um, because I don't have a national security background. And I, the first thing I want to say is that's not going to happen. I mean, the legacy of the program built by Bob Heibel and carried on through Jim Breckenridge was built on national security. And, um, you know, I, I don't wanna change that. Um, and the thing I've learned is I don't have to be the expert in that for the program to be successful. I can build partnerships, I have partnerships, I can lean on the support of those that came before me, I can lean on the great faculty that already have that subject matter expertise and we can keep that moving forward. But one thing that I think um, I'd like to bring to the program is the um, more of idea, and maybe we'll get into this um, into uh, the second half, but you know, are we selling ourselves short by the amount of, of uh, commitment we have to competitive intelligence? Or in that matter, is it competitive or is it corporate intelligence? And I think the big thing that we have seen um, both myself and, you know, being on the, on the conference board, um, the competitive intelligence conference board, um, through the, the fellows, through Skip, through, um, you know, my peers, what we're seeing and hearing is, is COVID is just this monumental event that I don't think we can downplay. And I'm sure you'll see that at Skip. So curious if, if that happens is 
that was the corporate, that was the uh, private sector's moment to say, okay, intelligence, your time to shine. And um, it showed up. And uh, you know, now leaders are hungry for it. And they're not just hungry for it in marketing, they're hungry for it across the organization. And so when we think about intelligence, or I'm thinking maybe it's corporate intelligence, it's how do you build a profession for those students to span across the entire corporation from assets protection and corporate security, which are more law enforcement-like careers, to enterprise risk management and strategic planning, which are more strategic or competitive. Um, because you know it's, it's no longer just national security, law enforcement, and competitive. It's all of those things are happening within a corporation. So um, I'd like to see us uh, prepare our students with careers, um, not just understanding competition, but as our, as our executives had to do, they had, had to understand health because of COVID. They had to understand you know, what was happening with protests. So they had to understand laws, they had to understand supply chain. So all of these things, um, you know, our, our students can be capable of, of learning under the backdrop of intelligence. So I think you'll start to see us uh, be more um, balanced between national security and um, the, the private sector um, and more interdisciplinary, um, you know, working with cyber and with uh, data science and risk management, all of those things come together um, because you have to just work so much quicker you have to work with your, your counterparts across the company to get the, uh, your leaders those answers a lot quicker. So interdisciplinary, networked, um, and uh, a different understanding of what I think competitive is for the future. Really good. So uh, Derek, show us your t-shirt for a second, because I'm gonna show mine. Um, this was the campaign, I think it was 2018 uh, for Skip uh, called Growth Champion. I tie-dyed mine, uh, you may notice, uh, and World Champion really <laughs> describes uh, what we think intelligence is for. Uh, and that's a really important sort of existential understanding that you, um, you sort of have to uh, negotiate with your stakeholders is what are you for? And um, as I look at intelligence people and the ones who get it right and the ones who get it wrong, uh, and we've got a few who've gotten it right, by the way, in our audience today. There's some, uh, some recognizable names on the audience uh, attendee list who have gotten it right. Uh, they would probably also tell you that they occasionally got it wrong. So Terry, by the way, Terry feels a regular on Unspeakable, and uh, you get the first contributor POAP, my man, when you come on camera, so stand by. Uh, but uh, there will be uh, an opportunity there for you to answer some of those questions. But that whole, what is intelligence for, described, describes the modifier on the word competitive, right? Um, and so as a literary, you know, technician and artist, really, you're a storyteller. What's the story that intelligence has to tell about what it's for so that it can coalesce and really galvanize their stakeholders behind the pursuit of that mission? Yeah, and it's, it's I feel like been a, the, the scope of what intelligence can do has broadened. Um, and maybe this is, blasphemy on, on the Intel side, but it shouldn't always just be to make recommendations for the decision maker. It can be myth busting. Maybe they have this bias or this narrative that they've been telling themselves that you can do that and that help eases their uncertainty um, with that. 
It can be synthesizing massive amounts of information into, uh, Eric, as you said, the, a story um, or a narrative. Um, and of course, forecast where you think the competitors are going next, be a little bit more provocative. And so when I think we can broaden that scope to say what those are, you can start to see where you know, these different roles play within the organization. I actually was so, sitting in the uh, keynote, if I can just share, Mercier's got a citation from the opening keynote here at Skip. Um, Carmen Medina is a, has, I just looked her up because I wasn't as familiar with her, but 32 year veteran, um, deputy director of the CIA, recently wrote this book, Rebels at Work. And it, as I was listening to her, she said, you know, where are my Mercier's people at? And there was four or five hands, at least within my range of sight that I saw go up immediately. And they're obviously Mercier's people are very proud of where they came from. And I, I love that we're talking about this and I can't help but go back to what we talked about with Tom Tao and that recording getting aired. If you haven't listened to it, you know, we recorded that December 2nd of 2021, as I recall. And a week or so prior to that, I had watched the movie Top Gun. Like I've watched it 20 years ago or 30 or whatever it was, but I hadn't watched it forever. And that, that whole concept of, I feel the need for speed, whether you're talking corporate intelligence, uh, risk management strategy, we're moving in such a fast paced world these days. There's disruption coming from arguably all sorts of angles. Uh, I know Eric and I think about it all the time just for our tiny little business, but you know, big businesses like Target or even um, you know, big businesses like Mercyhurst, you know, the disruption that's coming is an important thing for all leaders to be looking for and looking at. And you have to move at a, at a level of speed these days to stay out in front of it. And that's where I think the role of intelligence, like the braking system on a vehicle, you, you can't operate without it. And I'd love to have both of your reactions to that from the standpoint of where business leaders, irregardless of whether they have any intel background at all, what are they missing by not embracing the legitimacy of this profession in such a way that uh, allows leaders to be born out of the process and, and make their organizations more resilient in the, in the process of it all? What do you think? Lindy, you want to go first? You first, Lindy. Yeah, I love that question, Derek. And the first thing that comes to mind, and it, it feels a little simple, but I, I know we saw it firsthand, is the ability to ask better questions. And I think that's what intelligence brings to the table is, is not the right answers, but if you can get your leaders to think differently, not to think a little, you know, not, well, what's Walmart doing in, in apparel? Okay, what are you really trying to ask? And coaching and getting your leaders to ask specific questions so that they can act on it, I think is the gift of intelligence, is to be able to get them to verbalize what it is that their concerns are or what they really want to go after so that then they can act on it. Um, you know, it's too many times I think analysts try to act as mind readers um, because they don't have that, that um, conversation with leaders. And the more that we can coach our leaders and, and our decision makers into how to ask better questions, I think that just serves the entire organization to know what is really of concern or top of mind um, for where the organization needs to head to. 
Eric, what do you think? Yeah, that's really great insight, Lindy. You know, I'll just add that I think competitive intelligence has always come along with a confrontational sort of rivalrous, you know, brand. Uh, and it's, it's, there's so much emphasis on sort of beating the other guy, so to speak, uh, that I think it's really, really counterproductive. It's one of the reasons why I think the field hasn't grown like it could. So when you sort of think about the story you're telling about what it is we do, um, I think there is a lack of uh, humility and empathy about what the market actually wants and what the market values. Derek talked about speed. You, your comments just now really helped to emphasize it's reaction time. It's, uh, it's how quickly can you act and react to the changes in your macro environment. By the way, I'll remind the, the group at the 2019 Reconverge G2 meeting, Lindy was best in show uh, for her presentation on macro environmental scanning, by the way, uh, and just still an amazing, amazing piece. And we, we have it recorded if you would like a copy or if you want to approve it, we'll put it up on our you know, Twitter or something and, and distribute it. But it's, uh, I think that operating environment and when your operating environment changes, suddenly you got to start over. It's a new OODA loop you know, to use uh, you know, Boyd. Uh, and invoke that concept is that your action is based upon your observations, orientation, decision. And then uh, the, the speed of that OODA loop is really what, what happens when things change again, as has happened during the pandemic. Things have just been changing all the time and you're starting a new OODA loop every time one of those changes gets uptaken by the intelligence apparatus. So I don't know, I think, I think speed is a real factor, but uh, haste makes waste sometimes. And we have to remember that I think it's almost like the, the time to reaction is, is something we don't calibrate often enough at the start of an episode where intelligence can make a difference. It's how, how much time do we have? What's my window of opportunity? And I know as a pro, I, I'm sure that's on your mind as you're scoping and designing you know, projects and programs. What's my, what's my time frame? What is the time frame I'm dealing with? If it's tomorrow, then I'm gonna be a very different intelligence analyst than if it's next year. So. Thoughts on reaction time. And by the way, I'm gonna remind our audience, I'm gonna, I'm gonna replace us once again with POAP because it's your last chance audience uh, to scan that uh, before we cut you loose. Go to openrecon.com and register and join the private bridge if you haven't yet. Uh, and then uh, Derek, this will be our last question on the live stream. We'll kick those people off and we'll go private and get into some real nitty gritty. I already have a good question uh, in the chat from Mr. Terry Thiel. We'll get to him first. Save that. Yep. Save yep. that for the most people. Yep. You uh, know, what, Wendy, what do you think about it? What Eric said? Eric, I, I think what that tells you is it's, it's you know, maybe where it was more like a, a project-based um, cycle of like, uh, you know, you went from doing profiles to you updated those once a year. We're not doing those anymore, you know, to projects. What's so-and-so doing now? Okay, who else is doing that? And I think when you talk about the urgency and the speed, it just becomes constant monitoring, constant collection. And, and I think where it's you know not just like picking things up and putting them down again, it's how do you build in um, you know, systematic measures and uh, collection to be able to support those things on an ongoing basis because you don't know we're gonna, when they're gonna pick back up again. And your ability to have something constantly driving you forward as opposed to like manually like saying, okay, 
We got to look at this company again. You don't have that kind of time anymore to do projects. You've got to be always on and you've got to find a way to make that always on happen. I think uh, yeah, that's Eric, and I are, Eric and I are both battling the mute button to make sure we don't distract our audience with a lot of background noise here in the Hyatt in downtown Minneapolis. I love that statement. You know, coming back to intuition, you know, you, you started out telling your story uh, and how intuition, and maybe you used it recently when you said now is the time to go to Mercyhurst, right? Intuition and creativity, and I heard this, uh, the need for creativity, and I've, I've, I've long said, you know, to be a good consultant, and we're all consultants in one shape or another, right? We're, we're all counseling people. You're going to do it with young people now in uh, such a great and gifted way, but we're all counselors in one way or another, and there's a certain degree of improv that's required. You have to be able to improvise and use intuition, improvise, and, and move on, and, you know, I, I just kind of love where this conversation is leading in that regard. Eric, what's about to happen here? Are we bringing Terry on camera? So we're bringing Terry in in just one second, but first I've got to, it's time to say goodbye to our anonymous social live stream audience. Uh, again, openrecon.com, figure out how to register, join the private uh, bridge and you can come back on here. Uh, for those of you who joined us today, fantastic. And goodbye to you. I hope you have a nice life and, uh, or we'll see you in the next.